Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. This episode is airing on Tuesday, October 31st, 2023. Hello, everyone. It's Shannon back with you for a Tuesday morning episode, finally. I am so sorry that I have not been with you for the past couple of weeks. I have been pretty sick. I don't know. Seems like maybe COVID. I don't know. But I have known nothing like the fatigue I have felt over the past little while. And so everything in my life has been <laughs> sort of crazy. So I am here today, um, not with new release information, but I did want to share an interview with you. And this is an interview with author Vanessa Lilly. And we are discussing her latest novel, Blood Sisters. This actually releases today. So this will give you a bit of an idea of something that is released today. Um, hopefully next week I will be back with new release info. It just very much depends on how I feel. So please give me a little grace if things continue to be a little wonky over the next few weeks. Um, we will have our usual Friday morning episode. My team has been very, very good at um, putting things together while I have been kind of mostly away. Um, so we will have an episode for you on Friday. But that's all I've got for now. So let's get into the interview. You can find us on Facebook by searching for Book Bistro Podcast. There we have our usual Facebook page where we keep track of our Wednesday reads and also post information about the Friday episodes. We also have a Facebook listener group that you're welcome to join. And if you prefer a different type of listener group, you can contact us and ask about our WhatsApp group. Both groups are pretty small, not super high traffic, and we would love to have you. If you want to get in touch with us off of social media, you can do so by sending an email to thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. If you're looking for our main hosting page where you can find information on the podcatchers that make Book Bistro available to you, you can find that information in our show notes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Book Bistro podcast. This is Shannon, and today I am here with author Vanessa Lilly, and we are talking about her upcoming novel, Blood Sisters. And this is releasing in the U.S. on Halloween, so October 31st. Vanessa, thank you so much for joining me today. It's great to be here, Shannon. Thank you for having me. You are so welcome. Can we start with a brief introduction to Blood Sisters so that listeners have a bit of an idea what they can expect? 
Absolutely. Blood Sisters is a story of Sid Walker, who's a Cherokee woman from Northeastern Oklahoma, which happens to be like me. (laughs) I'm those things as well. Um, And she's uh, made sort of a new life for herself in Rhode Island. She's married. Her wife is expecting um, a baby soon. And um, she's been able to sort of move away from some of the difficult things in the past uh, in Oklahoma. Uh, where she's from. So the story sort of opens where remains have been found and um, she is an archaeologist for the Bureau of Indian Affairs and her old badge was found in one of the remains. So she's called back to rural Oklahoma to actually an old crime scene that she just barely escaped with her sister as a girl. And while she's there, her sister also goes missing. Uh, So the story itself is a return to home story um, and a little bit of a reconnection story. And I really did my best to include as many kind of personal elements for me, my, you know, Cherokee heritage, um, the history of Northeastern Oklahoma, um, which is a place that's seen a lot of environmental injustice. um, And to just sort of share that with readers along with hopefully a really page turning story. (laughs) So I lived in Texas for... Uh, seven years and was not too far from the Oklahoma border, um, but never actually like spent any time there. It was just always, you know, kind of something like that I knew about. And we heard a lot about um, some of the environmental things going on there. Um, yeah. Yeah. All over the state, there have been different, um, you know, especially when there weren't as many regulations. That was kind of the issue in Northeastern Oklahoma. Um it was sort of a, it was a boom town for a little while, about 60 years there. Um, and the mining industry um, came in and actually took along with the help of the Bureau of Indian Affairs, a lot of the land from the Quapaw tribe that was there. And they started a billion dollar mining industry that resulted in when it went bust, um, the EPA declaring um, this town of Pitcher, Oklahoma, one of the most toxic places in the country. Oh my goodness. Uh, yeah. So it was um, one of the very first um, EPA super fun sites and it remains to this day um, a place that has been, has to be abandoned um, and the community gone because it's so toxic to live there. I mean, the lead rate um, was astronomical. It's horrible. You know, lots of yeah health problems. All the creeks run orange. Um oh. Yeah. It, I mean, I grew up next to an orange Creek. <laughs> so, and I'm one town over, so you can imagine what it's like for the people who are living directly in Pitcher, Oklahoma. Um, so yeah, so I was really grateful for this opportunity to talk about this. And as a reader, I just love when there's truth in fiction. I really yes. enjoy when you can incorporate as many true historical facts within, you know, a thriller so that if people are interested in something, they can Google it and it'll come up. And I mean, everything except for, of course, the characters and the plot, um, you know, are based in reality and not only my experience growing up there, but things that have happened since I even moved away. I did a lot of research for this book to try to really explain because this story is set in 2008 and that was a tipping point for this town. it was a time of um, home buyout program. It was very, very controversial for the community that was there because essentially, you know, tore apart a community. Um, 
Um, but there are lots of other issues coming in. Methamphetamines were coming in from Mexico um, due to different laws and regulations. I had sort of meant to make it harder to produce meth, but what they really did was keep all the mom and pop meth shops had to close, which opened the doors for larger distribu distributors. So meth is crazy. Yeah, so like, 2008 was a big time in Oklahoma for math production that came out of Mexico. And that's a thread, you know, in the story as well. Um, so there was just so much happening then that it really, um, there's a couple other really big kind of environmental disaster things that truly did happen in the town that I incorporated in the story as well. And to me, it's just, it's fascinating that you sometimes don't have to deviate that far from reality to be able to tell, you know, a thrilling story. Well, for me, that is one of the things that I love most about like historical fiction, for example, where you can just take a piece of history and, you know, create your own characters in some situations and then build, you know, a story that incorporates those facts. And like you said, it does kind of give people that option then if they're interested in what they've read and they want to know, you know, the, like more of the facts you can then Google it as opposed to something, you know, that is a completely like fictionalized story. You have to, you know, dig a little harder to maybe find some of those like grains of truth. That's so true. And I hadn't really thought of it like that, but I do, I do think my thrillers have those vibes, the historical fiction vibes, because I spend so much time, you know, doing that research and trying to paint as accurate a picture as possible so that people do get a real sense of what it was like and like you said, they can look up for themselves the areas that are, are of interest to them. You know, maybe it's the Cherokee history, you know, maybe learning about the Trail of Tears or where certain tribes ended up in northeastern Oklahoma. But maybe it's the environmental pieces um, and then, you know, the drug issue that came up um, and then the issues around the missing and murdered indigenous women and two spirit and um, crisis in this country, um, which is kind of the heart of the book, which is, you know, that it's so difficult to get. Um, legal support whenever um, kind of women, girls, vulnerable populations yes. go missing um, yes. in Indian country, just because there's so many different um, jurisdictions. So it's not necessarily the sheriff you would call. It's not necessarily just a 911 police you would call because it depends on where these crimes occur. And then it's, is it the FBI who gets involved? But the FBI isn't really interested in missing girls and women cases. They're interested in drug cases. So, right. you know, getting people actually to pay attention. And as we all know, you know, being raised on CSI and other shows, those first 24 to 48 hours when someone goes missing are critical for get, getting evidence and interviewing people. And, you know, often you can even get anyone to answer the phone for weeks, if even. So, you know, it's, it's a really scary time for a lot of people. Um, and fortunately, people are talking about it more now. Um, but there's still just a real vulnerability within these communities. I read a book. Um, it was actually a, nine a nonfiction book called Highway of Tears yes. um, that was set in Canada mm -hmm. and That's talked about exactly. like, the, the missing Indigenous women um, that, you know, took place over this, like, huge swath of of land that is in so many ways deserted and how difficult it is um to get officials to look into those cases absolutely what what's happening in canada is happening here because it's uh, the same kind of you know colonialism coming in and moving right. trying to erase and in, in, in a form of genocide for sure against the different populations 
you know, and so there's the epigraph at the beginning of my book that's that's not mine. Um, that's kind of something that a lot of um, indigenous leaders say, which is what happens to the land happens to the women. And I think we're seeing that, which is the way in which we've treated the earth, the disregard, um, yes. abuse, you know, viewing it just as a resource, something that can be tossed away and destroyed, which is certainly in my book, the whole town was destroyed for resource mm-hmm. and money. That's how we end up treating people. Right. And without without any regard. Mm-hmm. So this is not your first book. You have at least one um, that came out before this. Is that right? Yeah. So I have two um, thrillers that are set um, where I live now, which is in um, Providence, Rhode Island. Um, My first thriller, um, Little Voices, was sort of my look at new the dark side of new motherhood and me as a new mom, an exhausted new mom, trying to grapple with what being a mother meant within, you know, my favorite genre, which is a thriller genre. Absolutely. Yes. And then my next one was called For the Best. And it was sort of me looking more at um, white female privilege, um, generational trauma, and um, also um, what, how it can manifest through alcohol abuse and different things. Um, I also just wanted to create a really wild character. Um, so I have those two books and I also did, um, and I'm doing a series. It's an audio book through audible originals with three other co-authors called, um, young rich widows, which is, you know, free through. If you're oh, in audible I have seen that. Yes. You should listen. It's a lot of fun. So that is, um, a campy, um, I mean, you, it's sort of a mystery, but it, the, the vibes are really First Wives Club with Murder set in 1980s Providence. And we just had a blast writing it. And it ended up being a huge hit. And we've written the sequel and we're hoping for even more. Um, so that was just That's a fun amazing. extra project um, that really who saved were my your co-authors for that? Pardon? And who did you who were your co-authors for that? Oh, um, Kimberly Bell, Kate Hollihan, and Lane Fargo. They're all three incredible thriller authors. Yes, and we each that wrote is a great like lineup of people to work yes, together. I love we that. We each wrote a, a character and we got together on Zoom during the pandemic. It, I think it was a, such a creative lifeline for all of us. And we had so much fun doing it, um, which I think comes through in the story because it's, you know, it's pretty ridiculous in like all the best ways. <laughs> yes. And sometimes I feel like that's, you know, you pick up a book because you're looking for that kind of feel, you know, like mm-hmm. not everything has to be like super you know serious and I don't know like true to life all the time like I think sometimes you can you can have some kind of fun like over the top ridiculousness and it's just in a way like a a comfort that's how we felt because each of us write pretty intense work um in our own kind of you know our own books so the ability to just sort of get together and say, all right, this is going to be just so much fun. And we want to like make each other laugh. And, and it is sort of, there is a mystery. There's, you know, a little bit of, you know, some thriller elements, but um, for the most part, it's really kind of a book about female friendship. That's the best. Yeah. So what kind of got you into writing? Is this something that you always knew that you wanted to do or kind of what was your path to like deciding this is, you know, what you were going to to be doing to create yeah. um, all of these stories? 
So as a kid, you know, I wrote a lot. I read a lot. Um, reading was really kind of the main thing that I did. Um, I was fortunate that in my um, hometown in Oklahoma, there was actually only one library in our county and it was in the town I lived in. So I was able to go to the library a lot. So stories, you know, had always been a big part of my life. My family were storytellers as well and always trying to make each other laugh. Um and, um, but, you know, honestly, when I went to college, um, I kind of got more into like journalism and political science and left that creative part, um, to the side. And it was in my early twenties, I was working, um, in Washington DC and I had a great job and, you know, things were good on paper, but I really felt a longing to do something else, like something that felt a little more well, creative and even to me, writing is spiritual. And so it, it really did feel like I was sort of missing out on my calling in some ways. So I decided, you know, I want to write a book and um, I just started learning. And it, by the time I, from the time I sat down and tried and got serious about it to when I was actually my, I was published, it was about 13 years. Okay. Um, yeah. So, I, which I think 10 is probably the average, I think. Um in general, just anecdotally, when I talk to friends, um, you know, it it takes a while to figure out not only what story you want to tell, but also just how to tell it in the best way. Um, a big piece of it for me was actually um, National Novel Writing Month, which is coming up. Oh, yes, it's coming. Yeah. So NaNoWriMo, as they call it, is when you um, join in thousands of other people all over the world who are trying to write a book in a month. And it sounds a little crazy, but it's um, so crazy it works, I would say, which is you just write about, it's 1,666 words a day. Um, and by the end of the month, you have a really, really bad first draft. <laughs> <laughs> but it feels so good, you know? And prior to doing that, um, and that book actually became my debut novel, I had been tinkering and messing with you know, two different books over 10 years. And so it felt really good to be like, I plotted a little bit beforehand. And then I just said, you know what, I'm going to get out of my own way here and just sit down and write it. And even if it's terrible, at least it will have been written. And, you know, I spent another year editing it. It wasn't perfect, but it is a really cool motivation because I think for a lot of us, we do get in our own way and it's hard, I don't know, to, you know, get out of, to like trust yourself to sit down and do it like all of those things but if you commit to nano you got to get those words done you can't be worried about you know that little negative voice in your head you got to just write so that was a really great experience for me and i've sort of tried to keep that fast draft method going for the most part in my subsequent books so do you try to meet like a word count every day, even when you're not doing NaNoWriMo or like, how do you structure your time so that you feel like you're still keeping that momentum, but mm -hmm. also like giving yourself like the, a little bit of space and time to do the the creative work that you need to do? Yeah, I, I do like, if I'm really trying to get a draft done, I do try to get at least a thousand to 2000 words a day done if I can. But I also find that sometimes, you know, finding a big chunk of time and getting like a, having like a crazy, like 5,000 word day or something. Like it just sort of depends. I think on where I'm at that probably the only consistent thing is the inconsistency. It's pretty rare that I do the <sighs> same thing two days in a row. Honestly, some writers are so good about that. They wake up at a certain time, they get their words done, they go about their day, but I've never been that I really 
you know, sometimes I need to research something. Sometimes I need to write. Sometimes I need to listen to music. Um, but, and I almost never write in the same place two days in a row either. I'm very nomadic. Um, ah, so you don't have like a certain place then that you feel like is, no. you know, sort of the, the perfect like writing zone for you. No, I really, I rotate a lot. I mean, maybe sometimes I'll get in a little bit of a, oh, the spot is working well for me for a few days and I'll stay there, but I almost always get really restless. Um, and honestly, if I'm feeling a lot of deadline pressure, I'll usually write in my bed because I'm just like, I have like a bag of candy and I just have to like sit and, and be completely focused and make myself just like not move. But I try not to have too many of those days. For the most part, I try to like go to a coffee shop or write at my desk or at the kitchen table and like, you know, shower and be a human being. <laughs> well, I think if the pandemic taught us anything, it is that you can do pretty much anything from bed. It's so true. Uh, Truman Capote, I think, was a big proponent of writing from bed. Um, really? So, you know, I did not know works, that. Yeah, I believe so. If it works for him, I feel like that's that could work for all of us. <laughs> well, even um, for this podcast, a group of us like get together every week and talk about books that meet, you know, like a, a theme. And I'm always like laughing because people are like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm all snuggled up in my bed. Like we're ready to go. <laughs> 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 yeah, I get, man, I get it. I get it. <laughs> record from bed. That's right. So if you can record from bed, you can write from bed, um, you know, whatever works, I say. <laughs> I agree. So is there something that you found surprising when you actually like sat down and and wrote a book? Like, is there something in your process or in like, you know, something that you've learned along the way that really surprised you either because it was harder than you thought or easier than you thought, or just something that maybe you never thought of at all? Um, something I've been thinking about lately, and part of it is just to kind of get in a good mindset before I launch a book, is that when you make something, you really, it doesn't belong to you after you're done with it. Um, uh -huh. I really have tried to get myself in a place where, you know, I did everything I could with this book and my publisher has done amazing with this book and like helped, you know, get it out into the world. And then it's just sort of not mine anymore. It's really, it's for other people because they're really reading it in the lens of their experience and their own lives and what resonates with them and with their own reactions. And because I think sometimes authors feel like it, books are their babies but the but they aren't because it it's really something that you're meant to kind of give away, and I mean that's hard to do because you love them, but um but I do believe that and so I, I think for this release I'm just you know very hopeful that I am able to sort of give this to people and that you know maybe they'll learn something about some of these issues that I feel like are really important and I'm excited to share with them and then you know share them with other people but I, I think. I hadn't imagined that. And I don't think I felt that way when I had my like debut come out, but now, you know, a few books into it, it, I do feel a little more at peace about putting a book into the world. Cause it just sort of feels like it's time. I would imagine it is kind of a hard thing to do for a lot of people because you, you put so much of yourself and your time and your energy into it. And then, you know, it goes through like all the changes that things have to go through before they're published. And then of course, once it's in the world, 
you know, people have things to say about it and, you know, people are not always the best. So I'm guessing it, it does feel a little, I don't know, just like a, a little bit of like a, a wrenching and maybe yeah, a little it, vulnerable. It It is. Yeah. Vulnerability. That's exactly right. My, <laughs> with my author friends, when they're having vulnerable moments or when I am, I always tell them to go watch that um, Brene Brown documentary on courage. It's on Netflix. Oh yeah. Um, Oh, I love it. I have to, I need to rewatch it before my book comes out. Actually, you're reminding me. Um, but, but, you know, her point there is like vulnerability is difficult, but, but putting yourself out there, you have to know that there's going to just be a lot of voices and you really need to only listen to a few of them. And probably the most important one is your own and how you feel about something. And that there's always going to be people lobbying at you, you know, from the cheap seats. And I've certainly had that happen, but you know, the, the point is much more that it's about sharing something with people and, and giving them, you know, something that means a lot to you. So for me, I really, you know, keep that in mind with this release that I, you know, that I have created something and people can have whatever reaction they want because it's theirs now and positive, negative, you know, it doesn't have to have anything to do with me. I, I know what this book means to me and that's kind of where my feelings about it could kind of end. I love that. So I'm going to shift gears here as we wind down a little bit. And um, you mentioned that thrillers are your favorite genre. And my favorite question to ask authors, well, really anybody that I can rope into talking to me about books, is what have you read recently? And it can be a thriller or not a thriller. Um, that you want the world to know about? Well, I'm very obsessed right now with um, Never Whistle at Night, which is an Indigenous author's dark anthology. There are 28 Indigenous authors um, in this story collection. It just came out and it's fantastic. And I've been having so much fun just dipping in and out of these different stories, learning about either some authors I already love or some voices that are new to me. Um, So it's a wonderful way for people looking to um, hear from more Indigenous authors to to check that out. Um, It's Never Whistle at Night. It's It's really great. That is actually a really good point that you make because um, I think, especially if you don't really know where to look, it can be hard to find Indigenous voices. I know, you know, we have all these lists on Goodreads that talk about, you know, authors of color in various forms and, you know, Asian authors, Pacific Islander authors. Um, but I don't see as much discussion of Indigenous authors. And so I love that there is an anthology so that people can actually kind of meet a bunch of authors, you know, in one book and find some people that hopefully, you know, they didn't know about before. Absolutely. And, and there are, you know, I think if you, there's, if you look at a couple different hashtags, there are kind of more coming around. Like, I think people are elevating those voices, but I, I, I definitely, um, you know, can, people can go to my Instagram page and I actually just posted something the other day, a book stack with indigenous voices. So, you know, feel free to reach ah. out to me. I, I'm a indigenous voices book pusher. I'm very happy to do that. Yay. So speaking of social media, where can listeners find you on social media? 
So I'm over at Instagram all the time, probably more than I should be just at Vanessa Lilly. And my last name is spelled L-I-L-L-I-E. And then I'm also over on Facebook, uh, Facebook. Um, I'm Vanessa Lilly author, I believe. And then I have a newsletter that you can sign up for on my website at VanessaLilly.com. Oh, goodness. I think I spelled your name along in the Zoom. Oh, no, no worries. It's Sorry very easy that. to spell. <laughs> So you mentioned Instagram and I have to ask you, do you describe your Instagram photos? Um, I think I have the, oh, where you type it in. No, I don't. I don't think I've been doing that. Why? I don't think I even realized that I should be. I've noticed that people do it, but it hadn't occurred to me to add that in, but I definitely can. I think it's a pretty easy feature. People do it so that um, for people who either physically cannot see photos or who have a neurological condition that makes it difficult for them to interpret what they see, um, that it describes what's in the photo. It's like you were talking about that you posted um, a book stack of Indigenous authors. And if I were to go to your Instagram page, unless all those titles and authors were written out, I would mm-hmm. have no idea like what you were recommending. Yes. Yeah. I, um, I definitely can add that in, especially for photos like that, that have, you know, a lot of information. I do usually try to list out authors, but you know, I probably don't do it every time. So that's a really helpful reminder. I appreciate that. Thank you. It's just a good, I think it's a good thing in terms of like anything that you share just because people like you never know who's on social media and, you know, who might be kind of wondering, like, what was in this picture that made you want to share it? Mm-hmm. Um, and people always say, oh, well, you know, you could ask in the comments. It's like, yes, but do you know how many pictures I come across on social media? Like, oh, of course. Yeah, you know, absolutely. You're not going to leave them, like, write a comment. What is in this photo? What is in this right, photo? Right, no, exactly. No, that, yes, absolutely. Thank you for saying that. I'm, I'm going to absolutely start doing that. I appreciate that. You're welcome. They have the... Um, alt text feature on Instagram. And I think it's a little bit tricky to find at first, but once you, once you do find it, um, I think it's pretty, pretty easy to kind of build into your routine. You can also just put the text like in the post itself, just do like ID for image description and then write the, the text, you know, of whatever it is that you're describing. Oh, cool. Yeah. I think that's what I've seen is where people you know, photo is of woman in brown. Yes. Yeah, I've seen that yes. before. Um, but not a lot. So that's that's good to know. Um, because you know, the yeah, more it's you a, see, the more you think that people it. aren't doing um, you know, quite as much as I personally wish they would. And so it's a thing now that I ask authors when we talk about social media, you know, do you describe your social media photos? Yeah. I, someone also said the other day that when you're doing hashtags, you should um, have each word be a capital letter that that's. Um, oh, yes. And I, yes, I please. Yep. I've been trying to do that. And it's just the rhythm. Anyway, I haven't been perfect about it, but I have been trying to do that a little bit more. Oh, because if it's not, if you just write it, then screen readers like run all the letters together and it just becomes this giant jumble that you can't decipher yes. where if you do a capital letter at the start of each word then a screen reader will read it as 
you know, like separate words instead of all just one like jumble. Yes. That's what, yes. And it's not that hard to do. Um, and, and, you know, so it's, it's just a function of habit, you know? Yes. Yes. And I think that's the case with like image descriptions and stuff as well, that once people get used to doing it and realize that it is actually valuable to people, um, I think a lot of people do, you know, actually like take that step. Absolutely. No, I really appreciate you saying that. You're welcome. Well, I want to thank you so incredibly much for taking time to chat with me. Um, We are just a couple weeks ahead of your release. So I really appreciate your time today. Oh, absolutely. This has been great. I um, am, you know, it's getting the word out is just so appreciated and to be sharing it with your community. I just, I do um, thank you for that, for your time and um, for just letting me share a little bit more about Blood Sisters. So thank you. Oh, you're so welcome. And once again, this has been a discussion with author Vanessa Lilly about her upcoming novel, Blood Sisters. And this releases in the U.S. on October 31st. So we don't have too long to wait. (laughs) If you would like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, It kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody. Thank you.